Hello, this is Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group. A big complaint about the Federal Information Security Management Act is that agencies complying with its provisions merely prove they're following processes aimed at securing information systems, but they don't necessarily prove the systems are indeed secure. As Congress works to reform FISMA this year, lawmakers are seeking new metrics to determine whether government information systems are truly secure. And when I asked those involved in federal government information security who is the best authority on the subject, the name of Ron Ross pops up. Ross is a senior computer scientist in the Computer Security Division at the National Institute of Standards and Technology and project leader for NIST's FISMA Implementation Project. I asked Ross, what are these new metrics? His answer was complex because securing IT is complex, and there's no simple answer to that question. In fact, Ross's answer furnishes a primer on the current state of metrics used to measure government IT. It's worth a listen. First of all, let me kind of take this in some kind of a context here in, in sequence so we can really understand what we're talking about. When people talk about FISMA, there's really three pieces of FISMA, which uh, I think are, are separate and distinct but interrelated. Uh, the first uh, would be the legislation itself. It came out in 2003, and from that legislation, there were specific requirements to create security standards and guidelines that would allow agencies to comply with the legislation. Uh, that's really the second piece that we've been working on since 2003, and we've come up with a suite of security standards and guidelines as part of our risk management framework that organizations now are required to use their information security programs and, and deploy the safeguards and countermeasures within their information systems. The the third piece would be the FISMA reporting process. It's been set up by OMB, and there's also a component that the IGs get involved in, and that really is a good part of the compliance portion of that, the reporting part of that process. I think it's important to, to make those distinctions because as we reflect on the FISMA legislation now, having been working under it for about five or six years, it's important to try to focus uh, any constructive criticisms in the specific areas where, where we can make a difference and possibly make some changes. Also, it's important to look at the context. I continue to hear people use the words secure information system. And I think it's important in today's world to understand that achieving a secure information system may not be possible because of the complexity and the connectivity that we are routinely seeing within our federal systems. And I'm sure the same thing occurs in the private sector. Uh, it's a world of communication, connectivity. We're partnering all over the place amongst federal agencies and with our contractors and with allies around the world. And massive connectivity, massive complexity. We've got hundreds and thousands of integrated circuits in the hardware. We've got 30 to 40 million lines of code in the operating system, complex middleware on top of that, and then, of course, the applications that sit on top of all of that uh, to make some incredibly complex set of hardware and software and firmware to have to deal with. That, that's also framing the context of when we talk about security for systems. On the threat side, threats continue to be very sophisticated, targeting many of our federal information systems. The adversaries know exactly what they want. They know how to go about getting it. And we uh, obviously have a, a more difficult and challenging problem of playing defense, trying to set up a defense in depth strategy that will, if not deter and stop the attacks, at least slow them down to a significant extent. We now look at the, the, state, the state of the information system security. We still have many vulnerabilities. We can see every day that uh, we're kind of in a penetrate and patch mentality at this point where new attacks are launched. We uh, recognize the attacks. We create patches or fixes to uh, mitigate those deficiencies, and then we go on to the next attack tomorrow. So the long-term solution that I wanted to start with is that we've got to come up with a better strategy for long-term for building more secure systems. That is a more disciplined and structured approach 
approach to how we build those systems and how we actually employ and use the technology. Very seldom today, uh, when we put a new technology in place, do we consider all the risks that are brought into the organization, which can affect mission and business processes. In other words, the, the ability for an organization to successfully carry out its missions today depends upon information technology, and that information technology must be dependable. And in order to be dependable, we have to apply the right safeguards and countermeasures at the right places within the architecture and within the systems to really make a difference. And so that gets to my, my first uh, kind of strategic point here is, is that while we're looking for better metrics and everything to measure, we need to start a concerted effort to build more secure systems with good, effective enterprise architectures. Enterprise architectures have a great effect of consolidating, standardizing, and optimizing your ultimate information technology configurations. It makes for what I call leaner and meaner systems, systems that are understandable and systems where you can actually deploy the necessary safeguards and countermeasures and have a higher expectation that they're going to really be effective in what we're trying to do. That coupled with better commercial products, products that are more penetration resistant, everything from operating systems to databases across the board, making sure that the security functions that are produced by vendors actually have a, a degree of penetration resistance that we need in order to stop some of these types of attacks. So having said that, still a whole lot of things we can do today with our current set of security controls, and we've worked very hard in the NISC suite of standards and guidelines to develop a risk management framework, which at the heart starts with the premise of the organization determining the value of the assets that they're trying to protect, and that asset that would be primarily information that's stored, processed, and transmitted by the systems that are supporting whatever missions and business processes they're trying to carry out. That categorization of information, in essence, how important or how valuable that is, that really drives the selection of security controls that are deployed in the systems. And we've got a, the, the categorization standard that we developed goes back to the old concept of, of the battlefield medicine where you have a triage and we have three categories. There's a high impact, a moderate impact, and a low impact. Those are the three types of systems that an organization could deploy. And we define impact on the impact of losing that technology, that processing capability with regard to the mission. In a high-impact system, the words that describe that in the standards say that if you lose this information system where it's breached in some way, compromised, it would have severe or catastrophic effect on your mission and your business processes. The, the moderate uh, version of that uh, categorization talks about a serious adverse impact, uh, but not severe or catastrophic. And obviously, the low types of systems are systems that are fairly routine. If they're lost, compromised, breached in any way, limited adverse effect on the mission. That's where the whole risk framework starts out. And then from that, organizations start with a standardized set of controls that NIST provides, and then they have guidance on how to tailor those controls until they come up with the appropriate set, which are sufficiently strong to protect whatever missions they're asked to carry out. Now, once those controls are Im implemented within a system, we have um, some extensive guidelines on how to assess those controls to see if they're effective. This is where we start getting into metrics now. And this is where the debate comes in about are we using the right metrics. But that, the, the, the way you measure security is tied back to what you're measuring. And at this point in time, we've got a very robust set of security controls that uh, are arrayed in 17 families, and they cover everything from the guards, guns, and gates, physical security, to personnel security, policies, procedures, technical controls, access control mechanisms, auditing, encryption, uh, systems communication protection you know, controls, incident response. The, the whole family of 17 controls arrayed in the areas of management, operational, and technical controls. 
once organizations pick those controls and implement those, then I said they said they're, they're assessed for effectiveness and try to determine are those controls safeguards and countermeasures, another way of saying that, are they implemented correctly? Are they operating as intended? Are they producing the desired effect with regard to meeting your security policy, whatever that policy might be? So that's the first place we start to measure what we've put in place. When you get back to the overall concept of managing risk, we're looking at continuing threats which may exploit vulnerabilities that are currently existing on some of our systems. And a threat that exploits a vulnerability obviously causes an impact to the mission on the other end. And so the security controls that we've defined are intended to reduce those number of vulnerabilities to a manageable point where the residual risk that we assume is tolerable. At the end of the day, with whatever resources we are able to apply to the security problem and to the management of risk, we have to come to a, a comfortable conclusion. This is the senior leadership I'm talking about, that whatever we've done with regard to protecting these systems that we have in front of us that are part of our organization, that are supporting our critical missions and business processes, we've done enough to make sure those missions are not in jeopardy. And that is what we call the residual risk. When we talk about a secure system, that really is a misnomer. We're trying to reduce the level of risk that we have in our systems, recognizing that the complexity and connectivity will likely prevent us from ever having a fully secure system, at least with the state of technology today, how we use that technology, and our ability to provide a defense in-depth strategy. Uh, so that's really, you know, kind of, um, I, I just introduced this uh, topic to kind of give you a frame or a context for how we've evolved to where we are today calling for new metrics, different metrics. There are several groups out there that, uh, and this may be reflective of what you were hearing from some of the senior IT professionals. The question that they put on the table is that, in their view, I think what you said is that FISMA compliance doesn't necessarily uh, imply or mean that you've got a secure system. So you can do all the checkboxes and still not have a secure system. Well, I would agree with that because there, there really is no such thing as a secure system. We can reduce our risk to a good degree, to a manageable degree and a tolerable degree, but there, there is never uh, a hope at this point of nailing everything down all the time. The perfection is just unachievable at this point because the defense is always more difficult than the offense. The threats, the adversaries, they can pick the time, the place, the intensity of the attack. They have the capabilities, the resources, the intentions, all the things that characterize the threat space. And we have to defend 360 degrees all the time. That's a tough order. Some of the things that we're trying to do, and uh, you, you've seen some of this. Are you familiar with the FDCC project, Federal Desktop Core Configuration? Yes. Well, it's, it's, it, it kind of goes to a very basic principle of computer security, and this is really in contrast to the way vendors typically deliver products. Our systems are composed of many different types of commercial products, and some of them are not commercial. Some of them are GOTS products. Most of them are commercial off the shelf. Vendors like to deliver products what I call wide open, maximum functionality. Security folks like to come at it from the opposite end of the spectrum. We like the concepts of least privilege, least functionality. In other words, ports, protocols, services, functionality, only turn on things that you need to accomplish the mission. Well, the Federal Desktop Core Configuration, or loosely described as the ability for us to work with vendors to describe good ways to configure information technology products. Configuration settings are the things that you can, the, sw the switches you can flip within these products to either enable or disable certain capabilities. So, for example, if you've got a, a flash drive that you plug into your laptop and there's an auto-execute command, whatever software is on that flash drive gets automatically executed. Well, that's a, that's a setting that can be uh, either enabled or disabled. And so these kinds of settings under the Federal Desktop Core Configuration, OMB has a mandatory set of settings now which are required for all Federal Desktop computers. 
And what we're trying to do there is close down what we call attack vectors. Attack vectors are avenues in the military sense. It's an avenue approach for, for an adversary to attack and, and compromise your system. These configuration settings are intended to neck down the avenues of approach or attack vectors that adversaries can throw at us. And that's really an articulation of the concept of least privilege least functionality. Uh, and that's a very good thing. So we, we're also now um, employing automated tools to test our workstations and our, our desktop uh, uh, configurations to see if those are actually in compliance with what the OMB requirements are. You're seeing here another area of metrics now allowing us to measure, to test the effectiveness of our configuration settings, which is really down at the ground level of where uh, everything all comes into uh, into reality with regard to security. That's another area that w that's been very successful, and we've tied uh, a lot of the desktop configuration settings work and the automated tools. We've tied that to several other large programs that NIST has been involved in, the Common Vulnerabilities uh, Enumeration Project, the National Vulnerability Database, and tying those configuration settings back to specific security controls that are in our security controls catalog in the 17 families I mentioned earlier. These are all very positive steps in, in the area of metrics that we're making great progress on. There is still a debate on whether we are assessing the right things at the right time, and that's the, why I brought up the fact that FISMA compliance is not only about making sure the NIST standards and guidelines are implemented, but also about how OMB gets the feedback back up to, to their offices on how the organizations are doing. OMB defines every year what they call their FISMA reporting guidance, and there's a long checklist of questions and things that they look for within the agencies. Compliance could be interpreted as meeting the OMB checklist requirements. It could also be interpreted as meeting the NIST standards and guidelines. I think that's pretty much where the debate uh, lies at this point. And getting back to your, the fundamental question that you posed is um, complying with FISMA, the, the checklist that FISMA requires, does not always uh, guarantee a secure system for all the reasons I outlined. What I can say, though, is complying with uh, the provisions of FISMA, which include the standards and guidelines, will, by definition, make your system more secure. Whether it's fully secure, I don't believe that's going to be achievable, but it's certainly uh, open for debate. That's NIST Senior Computer Scientist Ron Ross. I'm Eric Chabro of the Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.